Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR, where each week we hear from the people who are leading the way, making the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and are taking steps to reduce their carbon footprint. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm joined by Robbie Dowling, my co-presenter, and we'll be with you until seven o'clock this evening. Robbie, you're very welcome along this evening. A lovely, Thanks very much, bright Deirdre. evening. Yeah, beautiful this week. Now, um, over the last three weeks, Robbie, we have focused on energy in our homes, our business, and communities. This week we're moving on to our next subject of travel and transport. You've been out and about speaking to the people who are the make, making the changes. So what is coming up on tonight's programme? Who will we be hearing from? Yeah, so we'll be hearing from three different people tonight. A little bit later on, we'll hear from Senior Executive Engineer with the Carlow County Council, Tyg Madden, who will be speaking about changing to an electric vehicle. The National Transport Authority's Ian Gorley will chat about the various ways in which they are supporting the environment. But first, Carlow County Councillor Andrea Dalton reflected on her purchase of an electric vehicle and the work done by the council in recent years to help promote environmentally friendly modes of transport. I began by asking Andrea how she became an electric vehicle owner. Just by chance, actually, I suppose my husband um, was just looking. He, he, he'd be very interested in, um, you know, in the climate, as, as we all are, in climate and climate change and, you know, um, efficiency. And he was looking at cars and he came across a car for me in, in 2015 um, and, and we purchased it. It was a Nissan Leaf. So it was one year. It's a 2015 car I got in 2016, actually. It was one year old. So we said we, we'd give it a go. Um, and I still have the same car, so it's um, 2015. It's coming up on eight years old this year, and I have it seven years. So I suppose I was probably an early adopter in that case. Um, I absolutely love my Nissan Leaf. Um, it's a great car to drive, very economical, uh, very zippy. Uh, unfortunately, with the car, and, and because it's all technology, the range is not that great on it, but it does all my motoring needs, and um, my local motoring needs, and the odd, the odd time if I need to go further afield then um, I, I can take my husband's car but uh, it doesn't 99% of my um, my everyday travelling needs And were there any key reasons behind why you made the switch I know you mentioned luck there but did you did you look into it I suppose after you had kind of realised there was a, a possibility of buying an electric vehicle and, and actually make that decision on the sort of um, information that you had provided to you yeah, well, I suppose one is on, on the, the reduction in CO2 emissions was one, one big reason, but also the cost of running of electric car is very, is it, 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 it was a, it was much more economical. It's still very economical compared to probably petrol and diesel, but it was much more so before the rise in electric prices. Um, so when the opportunity came, we said we'd give it a go, and I, I'm 100% happy um, with the choice I've made. And. What was the process like in terms of making the switch? Was it difficult to kind of go from diesel or petrol to an electric vehicle? What was that like for you and your husband and your family? Yeah, no, it was actually quite seamless. And once we got the car, then we had to get an, uh, we got an, a charging point installed at our at our house. So um, there was a, a chap I knew at the time, um, Chris Kelly from Go Cars, and he installed he installed that for me. Um, we didn't qualify for the grant for it because it was it wasn't a new car; it was a second hand car. 
Um, so I do most of my charging, uh, 99%, nearly all my charging at home from that electric charge point. And what was it like, you, you t- alluded to it there a little bit earlier, from a financial point of view, has it proven beneficial for you? Was there costs at the start? How has that kind of panned out? Yeah. Now, I was very lucky with the purchase of my car. I actually bought it in the UK and I brought it in and I got a really good deal on it because there was no uh, VRT for the registration of electric cars. Um, so that was very good. Um, so all I had to do then was to pay for changeover of a, a number of plates and I think that the cost of that was the minimum. The road tax cost on it is about €120 Euros a year. Insurance is much the same as... Um, an ordinary car, and I, I, I reckon back then, before the increases in 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 the price of electricity, I was maybe running the car for three to five euros a week would would cover my my um, you know weekly travel needs. So this is something that a lot of people can really look at it and see that there are financial benefits three to five euros a week I mean there's a massive difference yeah, yeah, to a diesel yeah. or petrol now, car that will have gotten, got up considerably now I think um, I was just asking my husband today because I'm not great at, at, at the, keeping track of the numbers and I think he was saying it was something like um, it's 17 cents a unit now we have a night saver charge actually that was another thing we did when we put in we, we got in night saver electricity so we charge our car at night time so I think it's 17 cents a unit in the evening and it might be 34 cents during the day so we charge the car, cars at night time um, so I think maybe it would work out maybe about 340 per 100 kilometres um, of driving um, on electricity but um you know that has that has increased with the with the price of with the price the increases in price of electricity at the moment. Yeah, like everything at the moment, unfortunately yeah, for unfortunately. a lot of people. Um, is it tough? Is it tough in terms of the charging points if you're traveling long distances? I know you said that maybe you lose your husband's car um, if you are going further or far afield than Carlow, yeah. maybe or anything like that. But just generally, like how, how difficult is that? Is it is it manageable? You know, what what are your yeah. thoughts and your I, your experiences with it? Personally, I don't have much experience of it. I think I. Um, went to Dublin once in my car and it was a little bit of a disaster because I did a lot of things wrong and that, <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, but uh, with newer cars now, most people, the range on them are so good that they don't have to charge, you know, um, only only at home. You know, you, when you get a new electric car now, the range could be three, four hundred kilometres, so it covers most people's needs. Um, I know in Carlo that we uh, there was a, a report there recently on from Chill and Carlo County Carlo was found that the report it was the Irish Electric Vehicle Report and that found that County Carlo is the best county in Ireland for electric vehicles. It consistently came out towards the top of the rankings, including the number of EV charging stations, the dealership and the potential savings for EV drivers. So I know and the council are very committed to um, promote the use of um, charging points in in the town. And they had a scheme last year where they negotiated an agreement with AIR and EasyGo Charging um, to provide um, the alternative use of electric vehicle charging in lieu of where public telephone kiosks had become obsolete and removed. Um, So there were six such kiosks moved at locations in County Carlow, like Tullow Street, Kennedy Avenue, Court Place, and the electric charging points then, um, and I think it included maybe four fast chargers, 
six load charging points uh, were, were swapped out instead of them. Not at the exact location, but uh, it was some agreement. Uh, they've been leased. Um, um, easy go charging provided the full capital cost of the, the installation and will run the run the service. Um, and for I think that there's a I think it was a contract for 15 years and maybe an, an option to extend for uh, for the five years. And um, so that that brought you notice just outside Channel Plaza. There's two um, very fat high speed chargers there. And we were at the opening of the new bus park today, and there's uh, space there for four new, and the ducting is there for four new uh, electrical chargers to go in there as well. And we're just waiting on the infrastructure, the actual charging point itself. So in Cairo, we're very well, we're very well geared up for uh, for charging. But like that, I think most people, because the range have gone uh, has improved so much on cars that they will, will probably be charging the home more than um, you know using public chargers but that brings maybe its own its own um, issues that we need to consider as well from council level in, in, in ensuring that maybe places that are like um, docks of apartments or that or people in estates you know that there might be options um, for putting in public charging there there is a new commitment from government as well to in, in, increase um, public charging infrastructure I know there was a call put out there I think it was um Fifteen million um, for community centres and clubs, and um, if they wanted to install in, install um, fast chargers in their clubs, that would allow people to charge while using their own facilities. So there's, there is a good, um, I suppose, impetus on government to help to help the whole electric charging, uh, the use of electric vehicles. Yeah, that's really good to hear, I have to say. And of course, we'll delve a bit further into more detail um, around Carlo and the council and what they're doing to help people uh, move towards electric vehicles. But just to go back to your own experience, Andrea, what's it like owning an electric vehicle in terms of wear and tear, maintenance, things like that? Um, really good because it's really a bit like just like a bumper car, you know. There's, there's very little that needs to be done with it. Um, I suppose the biggest cost in, in maintenance would be in terms of tyres. Your tyres won't last quite as long as regular cars probably from the, the weight of the battery um, so maybe every two or three years you'll be changing your tyres or you know maybe more frequently than a, a nice as they call them in a, 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 a combustible engine car um, the, the the main the regular maintenance of it is, is very cheap because there's very little that has to be done maybe change wind um, wiper blades or filters would be the main um, issues when you're having a service because there's very little to service on it you know yeah and with that in mind when you compare it to the financial cost of your old car what works out better oh most definitely the electric car would be a lot cheaper in terms of maintenance and the tires, yeah. yeah, is it realistic? Do you feel for people to make the change to an electric vehicle because you've really sold it? I have to say, but do you think it is reasonable for people like like yourself to make that change? I think the biggest problem for people to make the change is, is the initial cost of um, purchasing electric cars. They're really, I think they're still above, you know, the reach of most people. I think there needs to be something looked at in, in, in maybe in terms of a, a larger grant or uh, maybe um, 
a tax deduction for the purchase of electric cars. Now, the, I think the sales, I don't know the figures off the head, but the sales of electric cars have, in, have increased phenomenally. But, I mean, they they are very expensive. I mean, we're talking probably between 30,000, 40,000 for most um, electric vehicles now. For a lot of people that's quite prohibitive. But um, I haven't looked at what the second-hand market is, is like and I think um, I know second-hand market is quite buoyant at the moment for cars in general but for every day run around at home at, you know at, say like moms like myself running to schools and back and matches you know um, if you could pick up a second-hand electric car it would be great. I have my car as I say and it's um, 2015, so it's gone on eight years old, and I, the battery has like there's 12 kind of slots for the battery, or and I just lost one of those um, in, in, in that eight years, you know. So the battery has degraded maybe say one twelfth um, in that time, you know, and that was just at maybe about a hundred thousand. I'm just gone, I'm just about, I'm just over a hundred thousand kilometers on the car at the moment. Okay, and in terms of, you mentioned there, grants and more incentives for people to make the change, do you feel as though that has to stem and come from central government? Yes, I think so. I think it's something that I will be lobbying on because I think if we want people to change um, to electric cars, I think that the cost is too prohibitive at the moment. You know, they're they're very expensive for uh, the initial layout. I know in terms of running them, maintaining them, there's nothing but positives, um, but the initial cost, I think, is the greatest barrier to the adoption of electric vehicles. And just to come back to the local side of things, you've touched on it already, but could you elaborate maybe on how Carlow County Council promotes environmentally friendly transport? Oh, well, um, I suppose, as, as, as I mentioned already, we've been found that Carlos is, is there's a huge commitment to being, I suppose, sustainable in everything we we do in in Carlow, and um, and I suppose that the findings of that Irish Electrical Vehicle Report confirms that it says that we're the best country in the country uh, for electric vehicles, which is which is really good. We're also, um, you might be aware there that in terms of sustainable transport that we would be hopefully in the next few months our town bus service will be um, will be operational if we're making a good point for that and that should really help as well with sustainability and, and lowering our carbon f- footprint. We were hoping that we would have, we'd be the first town with uh, an electrified um, f- uh, fleet of buses but I don't think that's going to happen just in terms of, I, I think the, the leading time to, to get the electric buses is too long so I think we're going to start with diesel buses but hopefully they'll be upgraded to electric buses as soon as possible. And just generally um, just in terms of the climate crisis itself, what else does the council do to help tackle that crisis? Oh, in terms of climate crisis, we have we have um, gosh, there's so much, there's so much, there's lots of plans. Like there's the car, the climate action plan, there's the climate um, um, adaptation plan. We also have a climate change officer. You know, climate change and environment. So being environmentally aware is no longer an option, it's actually a necessity. And any decisions, anything um, that the, the council makes always have to have climate change, I suppose, at the heart of the decision, every decision they make. We're very lucky. I don't know what year it was, but Carlo is one of the Sustainable Development Goals champions. And we have very passionate people in our council, like Jeanette Kelly and um, um, 
Shane Casey now, our uh, Environmental Awareness Officer, and, and they work hugely with community groups, with schools. Um, we're also looking at reducing the carbon footprint of all our buildings. So there, there is a very strong commitment and plan. We're looking at securing a decarbonisation zone as well for around Cardo. Um, so there'll be very concrete actions and targets to be met at that. And I'm also part of another community group. It's called... Um, uh, the uh, Sustainable Energy Community Network for Carlow Town and we're looking at doing uh, an energy audit of the town and also looking then at how we can reduce our carbon usage and our carbon footprint in the town as well. So that's another exciting project that's in the offing at the moment. Do you think it's something that the council have become more conscious about in recent years? I'm also conscious of the fact that you've only been in in the last number of years, but do you think it's something that's spoken about a lot more compared to the past? Yes, yes, most definitely. There's not a council meeting that goes by that uh, sustainability, um, reducing carbon footprint, even even the fact that we're changing all our public lighting to LEDs, you know. Um, every meeting we're at... It, it, it's a theme that has to run through all policies at this stage. You know, it's not, as I mentioned already, it's not an option, it's a necessity. Now, um, you know, we're on, we just have to reduce carbon usage um, and we all have to think about how how we live in terms of um, reducing, you know, use of plastics and things like that. It's obviously something that the councillor's speaking about from what you're saying. Is it something that the electorate bring to your doorstep a lot? Um, yes, uh, well, in, maybe not to the doorstep, but very much on in public media. You know, there is there is a greater awareness of um, of the needs to be more environmentally aware. But I suppose children in schools and that as well, you know, um, have studied this a lot. Um, you know, and are becoming advocates for the environment too. Whereas I suppose we're we're kind of more. Uh, migrants to the whole environmental issue that, that youngsters in school it's it's what they're learning all day every day as well how important it is to be environmentally friendly and, and to have sustainable practices And what areas do you think we're lacking in at the moment when it comes to the climate crisis and in particular focus I suppose on transport Well I, I mean the, the glaring example in Carlo is lack of public transport Um I, and I think you saw this year when you saw that um, when um, bus trips to school, school bus were given, tickets were given for free this year. There was a 40,000 increase in the uptake on it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every child could take a bus to school and how, how great that would reduce the amount of cars and the amount of trips on the road. So small, small fairly small initiatives like that can have huge impacts. Um, our own public transport system and rural transport systems and the uh, the use of uh, the train service, you know, to have a more regular use of trains to encourage people because if people can't make sustainable um, decisions if the options aren't there in terms of public transport um, there's huge money, um, I think Carlo just received 2.7 million in, in terms of active travel money there um, it's confirmed last week and you'll see all the improvements around the county to encourage um, people to actively get to work or get to school by cycling or by walking and the whole concentration in Carlo Town is to make it safer for pedestrians 
and for cyclists, even if that does maybe slow the traffic down. We're also currently looking at, uh, I've meeting after this, about the area-based transport for our local area plan. So that will be looking at um, transport options around the town and how we can make roads more sustainable as well. And what are the biggest improvements do you think to have been made in Carlo over the last number of years? The biggest improvement, most definitely, are um, electric charging infrastructure. I mean, we're number one in the country there. Um, the changing of our lighting system to LED lights. The provision now of the town bus um, service in Carlow Town will be just brilliant, considering we are the home to three third-level colleges. We have Carlow College, St. Patrick's, the SETU, and the Ed- Carlow Institute for the Education. So, you know, um, we're also looking maybe at a, 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 a bicycle scheme that where you can um, hire bikes to get around the town. I think that would be most welcome as well when we have such a, a student population too. And just just before I, I let you go, Andrea, are there any other aspects of your own life that you've changed to be more environmentally friendly other than, I suppose, the move to an electric vehicle? Um, well, we we did get our um, try to reduce our use of heat in the house by getting our walls and that pumped and our ceilings pumped. Um, we recycle all our, our plastics. Um, I'm trying to think of other measures there. We got our heating. We still have a, an oil burner, but we got that upgraded. We are looking at um, solar panels as well, but um, as you know, they're, they're gone quite expensive again in the in the last few months as well. So we're just waiting for that. Um, those price levels to come down. Also in terms of, I suppose, using the car, but trying to get out and walk more and cycle more when we can. When I come to work here in St. Catharines, if I just go to a meeting somewhere else, I normally just leave the car here and I try and walk to them if I can, um, just to reduce the use of, of, of the car, even though it is an electric car as well. And very finally, Andrea, we've spoken a lot about the electric car. Would you recommend it to other people to make the change? Oh, I surely would. I surely would. I think I, I just love my. It's, it's, it's a small car, but it's a nippy car. It's a Nissan Leaf, and I actually love it. I tell people it's like a bumper car. It's as easy to drive as that. I think they're great cars, especially for older people as well. They're so uncomplicated to drive, and they're so cheap to run. But like I do mention, I know the cost of buying them is, is quite prohibitive at the moment, and that's something we need to look at um, as a government. That was Carlo County Councillor Andrea Dalton chatting with Robbie about electric vehicles and the supports put in place by Carlo County Council to encourage different modes of transport that are beneficial to the climate. And coming up after the break, we'll hear from uh, Carlo County Council Senior Executive Engineer Tyg Madden about his experiences of being an electric vehicle owner. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. Welcome back. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm also joined by Robbie Dowling. And Robbie, before the break, we heard from Carlow County Councillor Andrea Dalton speaking about her experience of being an electric vehicle owner. And we are staying on that topic now. You spoke with Tyg Madden. Yeah, I chatted with Tyg Madden. He is, of course, the Senior Executive Engineer at Carlow County Council. And I spoke to him about making the switch to an electric vehicle. And the first question I put to him was, how important are modes of transport in tackling the climate crisis? Oh, it's very, very important and in terms of like the fossil fuel cars, uh, there's there's all sorts of efforts being put in place to reduce the reliance on the car. 
um, it's very important and the Active Travel Office here in Carlow County Council have um, received significant funding last year and this year and are, you know anyone uh, living locally can see what they're delivering in all the towns and villages in terms of cycle tracks and pedestrian linkages and um, there's going to be a new bus service coming to Carlow Town at some stage this year and that's going to be a huge help in encouraging people to leave their car at home for short trips um, e-bikes and scooters, e-scooters are becoming ever more popular as well so everyone can see uh, their presence on the roads and, and that's growing as well. Um, look, it's, um, it's all about awareness and changing behaviours and attitudes and bring people along and you know, you're know you much better off uh, walking than taking a five minute car journey and you know, it's good for your health, it's good for the environment etc. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're looking at in terms of uh, modes of transport at the minute but it's very early in the in the process and there's a lot of work ongoing and a lot of good work to come still, you know. Yeah, and that's on a wider scale, maybe looking at Carlo in particular, where, as you said, there is a lot of work uh, being done currently and a lot of great work done so far. But for yourself, I know you're an electric vehicle owner as well. How did you go about making the change from presumably diesel or petrol to an electric vehicle? Yeah, well, I was driving a two-litre diesel uh, for a number of years and then uh, I suppose I got a job in Carlow County Council in November 21 and my commute then dropped considerably and like my average speed to work was only 50, 60 kilometres an hour so the, the diesel was barely getting warm by the time I was making it to work so I said to myself, this is a perfect opportunity to look at moving to uh, EV but you know, I had to do a deep dive on it, didn't jump into it. I spoke to lots of owners to get a flavour of it. I went around and visited all the local garages and test drove every sort of electric vehicle available. Um, did a deep dive then into the annual cost, you know, in comparison to a diesel. So I looked at how much fuel I would use. You're looking at insurance, your tax, tyres, servicing. Like if you're driving um, a two-litre diesel, you may be using AdBlue. You know, that's another thing to consider. But comparing all that to uh, an EV, I was able to calculate that. I would make a saving of over two and a half grand a year. So, you know, over 10 years, that's 25,000. That's the price of the car, really. So it was quite significant. Um, and then, like, the, the running costs are just so low. Uh, you know, running a diesel, you're probably talking 12 cent per kilometre, whereas um, an EV at the time, I was looking at just over one cent a kilometre. So that was that was that's where your significant saving is coming from. The uh, tax is obviously cheaper, and the servicing costs are a lot cheaper. Um, so then I, I looked at battery sizes. So the bigger the battery, the bigger the range. But I didn't need the, the big range because my commute is under 40 kilometres a day. So <clears throat> I went for a 40, a 40 kilowatt battery. So the range is about 230 kilometres in the summer. The winter time is, 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 is a lot less, so it's coming in around 200 or less. So, you know, when you're using your heating, that reduces uh, your, your, your range. So the trick is, and what I've learned, is to charge little and often, so I never really get caught. Um, with with range um, and then I suppose look any of the journeys I'm doing outside of the county are, are relatively easily um, easily you know I, I'm easily able to make it there and, and come back without using public charges I suppose is what I'm trying to say so I think you know the main thing is is to have your home charger so you're not relying on your on your public network and there's a lot to unpack there, but one thing that I really did want to point out was the fact that 
you know you didn't rush into anything you did your research and then you weighed up the kind of pros and cons and obviously and as you as you articulated there it seems to be far better from an environmental perspective that goes without saying but also from a financial perspective how important is it for people that maybe are on the fence or uncertain whether they should switch to electric vehicles to do their research because there seems to be huge benefits to it you really have to do your, your research because there's so many different factors to take into account. Like even if you're buying one of the bigger ones that has a range of say 500 kilometers and it's telling you on the manual you 500 kilometers range, in the real world, term, real world terms you might have 420 and that could be during the summer. But then if you have wind uh, against you or if you're driving a motorway that's going to drop considerably more again or if you are if you have your heating on that's going to drop considerably more again if you have to rely on public chargers I, w- I would say forget about it um, you have to be um, have your home charger in place you can avail of the night rate which is an awful lot uh, cheaper than the public network like when I put mine in the price was 7.5 or 7, 7.5 cents per kilowatt and it's up to 21 cents per kilowatt now so it's, it's been significant but like the e-cars public chargers were 26 cents uh, per kilowatt uh, this time last year and now they're 56 cents per kilowatt using a 22 kilowatt charger if you move up and use the faster chargers you're looking at up to 75 cent per kilowatt and when you're moving up to the 56 cent and 75 cent per kilowatt you're actually on a par with petrol and diesel so these are the things you have to take into account Um, and charging little and often means you won't get caught out if you're driving a long commute I wouldn't really recommend it to be honest Um, you know due to all those factors I was saying um, you know, if it's running in the cold, you're going to obviously uh, use more juice and then with having the heating running as well. So I try to keep my battery. I never rarely let it go below 40%. So I, I, rough, I charge for probably an hour, two hours every second night and, and, and rarely get down to um, below 40%. So I, I never get caught out. And actually, I'm proud of the fact that I can say I've owned it since last May and I still haven't used the public network because I haven't, I haven't had the needs and I don't intend to have the need either. But I suppose if you have to do travel further afield, if there is a second car in the house, it's, 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 it's the ideal option that you can swap. So my wife drives a diesel, I can swap with her if I have to go to Dublin or further afield and she can take um, the electric uh, to work, which she works locally as well, so it works, works out fine, you know. Yeah, it's great to hear that you know it, it, it can be used and people can make the change seamlessly uh, it's, it seems to be the case so that, that's great to see but one thing I did want to pick up on because we have to be realistic about it as well I suppose the big thing that I think a lot of people listening in and, and just generally across the board the reason why maybe they haven't made the switch as quickly as they'd like is because of the charging points that you mentioned do you feel as though until there are more public charging points it'll be hard for people en masse to make that change or, or where do you lie on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question and I suppose I have a considerable experience in installing public chargers so for instance you know, SEAI have a grant uh, had a grant previously for €5,000 for local authorities and I think only three local authorities availed of that grant over the lifespan of, of, of that grant. Reason being was you know, €5,000 barely bought the charger. The problems were the installation of the ducting and the civil works that were required to go along with that. Also, dealing with ESB or networks, you know, the 
for 22 kilowatt uh, charging you need a three phase connection so that that's considerable cost as well uh, the operational costs on an annual basis are not uh, provided for within that grant that's a huge issue and I suppose the government kind of try to put pressure on local authorities to deliver this and now you have private companies coming in and they're you know putting in chargers at their own cost but they have to make that money back to make it work so now you're seeing the price of a kilowatt hour just going through the roof because they want to make their 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 investment back quickly i suppose and that's going to really uh, go against what you know the government is trying to do getting everyone dri- driving uh, electric in that it's not really affordable and the cost of the electric cars are they're crazy at the minute because they're not available uh, any of the new ones coming in they're all on order a lot of the orders are not being filled because a lot of them are going to the UK market first um, so you know if as I said before and I, I, I keep harping on about this to anyone I'm talking about if you don't have a home charger Forget about it. Um, it's it's just not it's not worthwhile. Um, charge little and often, and if you're relying on the public network, it's it's just too expensive. And that's just kind of the daily run of things. But it's obviously you know getting from A to B is a crucial component of anybody's life um, on a daily basis, including yourself, myself, and everybody. But does it make you more environmentally conscious the fact that you've changed to an electric vehicle as I said it's something that you use every day so you know that it is benefiting the environment on a daily basis and do you think to yourself after you make such a big change that maybe I can make smaller changes that would also help to improve the environment on a more frequent basis yeah yeah well look all these smaller changes all add up cumulatively and and make a a bigger difference um, you know locally and nationally but does it make you more environmentally conscious? I suppose it does in that like, all the short journeys you're doing, you're not relying on the engine to, to heat up and you're not idling is another thing, you know, outside schools or public areas, so you're not uh, contributing to the air, you know, with bad air quality. But, like, at the end of the day, these vehicles are still powered by coal and gas from the power, plant, power plants. So, you know, I think the main reason people are changing over really comes down to cost. And EV is a lot uh, cheaper to run if you're on the night rate. So, as I said now, uh, initially it was costing me just over one cent per kilometre. At the minute, it's costing me three cent per kilometre. And the diesel equivalent is 11, 12, 13 cent per kilometre. So, there is still a significant saving there, uh, even though the price of electricity is going up. But I suppose it would make you more environmentally conscious in that, you know, you can look to solar PV now and if I bought a Zappi charger for the home charger, so that can be integrated into a solar PV uh, setup, which I may look at in the next year or two. I don't know if it's quite there yet, but I'm doing a good bit of research into it at the minute and it does seem to be improving quite a lot over even the last year. So if you could, you know, start making waves like that, uh, you know, in a, in a private capacity, if everyone was to have solar panels on, it will reduce the, you know, all the stress on the electric, electricity electricity network out there and um, would alleviate the need for fossil fuel um, to power these uh, power plants. So, you know, there are a few of the things you could look at to kind of complement what you're doing. That was Thaig Madden talking to Robbie there and reflecting on his switch from a diesel vehicle to an electric one. And Robbie, moving on to our final interview of the day. 
what is coming up. Yeah, it's National Transport Authority's Ian Gourley. He spoke to me about the work that the National Transport Authority does. And the first question I posed to him was to tell me about his role within the National Transport Authority. Yeah, so um, basically the, the NTA... Um started to procure new buses and coaches uh, for use on public bus services back in 2017. So my primary role is uh, to basically procure new buses and coaches, but also manage our existing fleet of buses and coaches. And that number is over 1,100 vehicles uh, as of today. So and it it's growing every year. So uh, so there's there's a bit of a mixture there. Um, my background is also in uh, railways, heavy heavy rail and light rail, and um, I'm also involved in some of the projects we have there as well. And what are the current plans and developments that are in store with regard to this area, Ian? So, obviously, the the big push we have at the minute on the bus side is... um, is a uh, decarbonisation moving towards zero emission vehicles. So, uh, back at the end of January, um, we introduced into service 11 new electric buses in Athlone in County Westmead. That's the first um, complete town service in Ireland to be operated by zero emission buses. Um, so, it's a significant milestone for the NTA and Bus Air and its operator, and also obviously for the, the government and the Department of Transport. Um, and that's the kind of thing we're now progressing elsewhere in the country. So, for example, we have um, charging infrastructure going in at the moment in Dublin in two locations uh, to support the rollout of double-deck electric buses there. And we're also well advanced with doing the same in Limerick. And that's something we will be extending then over time to the rest of the country as well, is to, to move away from diesel-only buses, which predominate at the moment, towards um, you know low and zero emission vehicles uh, everywhere. And how important is this transition if we're talking about tackling the climate crisis, do you believe? Well, you know, I suppose there has been a lot of progress in terms of diesel-only vehicles. Um, so, for example, the the sort of the pollutants that are in the exhausts of buses have have improved significantly. There's various initiatives that have um, made the the standards that those buses have to meet tighter and tighter, which has culminated in the Euro 6 standard, and that's near the bulk of the fleet meets the Euro 6 exhaust emission standards. But what that hasn't addressed is the amount of CO2, obviously, that's released as you burn the diesel. So obviously what the what the uh, zero emission buses will do is um, you will no longer have that release of uh, CO2 and, and other pollutants. You'll no longer have that release at the point of use. Now, it obviously does depend on your grid mix, but as, as the, the nation moves toward a cleaner green mix with a higher proportion of renewables, including wind energy, then obviously you can see that the overall effect is a uh, is much le- much less pollution and far less contribution to um, the the you know uh, the gases that cause global warming. So it's a very positive story. The other side of it is uh, you know with an electric bus or or an electric base bus, which are, which is what a zero emission bus bus is. Um, you're also recovering energy as you go, so your overall energy usage is less. And you've also got other benefits such as reduced wear and tear on um, on brake pads and brake discs, which again um, reduces the amount of impact that the buses have on the environment. Uh, they also are significantly quieter than a diesel bus and 
the passengers benefit from a smoother journey with less vibration and less noise. Is electric buses kind of the primary focus for yourself at the moment, Ian, or is there anything else that we should be looking out for that you feel as though is important when we talk about the National Transport Authority actually supporting the environment like they currently are? So, so we obviously we're, we're we're sort of focused on electric buses for the moment in terms of um, uh, you know urban services. So that's your town and city services. However, for for longer distance routes, um, you know there are limitations to the range offered by electric buses. So, what we've actually commenced within the past few weeks is a market consultation for zero emission coaches. Now we're we're deliberately being sort of vague about the technology involved there because it could well be that you know a hydrogen-based solution could be the optimum uh, uh, solution there. Or, or something else, or a mixture of the two. So that's one thing we're doing for longer distance services. And obviously the NTA as a whole, what we're doing is we're, we're obviously supporting things like active travel, your cycling, walking routes, etc. That's something that's there's been a, a significant amount of focus on since uh, since during and since the, the pandemic. And there's record amounts being spent this year on providing those active travel facilities. In addition, in um, in the larger conurbations, we're also investing in rail, both heavy rail and light rail. And again, the idea is to achieve that modal shift, get get people out of their cars and using alternative forms of transport. So, it, as you say, it's not just the buses, the NTA, the wider remit than that. And there's a there's an awful lot of projects that we're either directly um, pursuing ourselves or we're providing the funding for and administering the funding for. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, in, 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 in your area there, you know, in the last few years, we launched a new uh, bus service in Kilkenny um, that now provides a, you know, a half hourly frequency on two routes there. Uh, and we'll soon be launching a similar service in Carlo. So, you know, if you look at those, that really gives people the opportunity to leave the car at home when they go into the into the town centre and, and do their business. And just a final note, Ian, to wrap things up, do you feel as though there's improved progression and a buy-in from people compared to maybe where we were even 10 years ago in the sense that they're more willing to use buses, they're more willing to um, kind of utilise all the different areas that you spoke about there that the National Transport Authority are trying to implement? I think I think what it comes down to is sort of, you, you know, your your experience when you do trial. So, so getting someone to trial, say if they're a, a very staunch user of a car, the first thing is to initiate that that first use of the service. So it might be something like, you know, you, you make sure that uh, there's an attractive fare, you make sure that it's well publicized, um, you sort of, you know, you, you, you I suppose you, you incentivize people to use it. Then once they're on board a public transport service, apologies, the key thing is to make sure that it's a it's an enjoyable experience that it's you know it's punctual that it's clean um and that it gets them to where where they want to go and then obviously once you i suppose once you do that you've done you've done what you can to ensure they use it again and it is that repeat usage that's the key to um to reducing the overall car use and then contributing towards a reduction in pollution 
Ian Gourley, head of the Transport Fleet with the National Transport Authority, speaking with Robbie about the work being done in support of the environment by the National Transport Authority. Uh, next week, we'll be continuing our focus on travel and transport, Robbie. And what have we got to look forward to? Yes, yeah, so I'll be catching up with former, former Carlo football manager Turlow O'Brien. He'll be long to chat about his love for cycling. We'll be hearing about the roles of greenways today. And Carlo County Council's Paul Curran chats about the benefits of cycling on a daily basis. Here's a clip from that interview with Paul. I find the, the cycle covers it very, very good, you know. So, yeah, I'd be happy enough to stay going at it anyway. I do think it's it's the way forward, um, especially with the cost of petrol and diesel and so on. And as I said, when you're up on your bike, the light breeze in your face, is, there's nothing nicer, especially on a good day. That and a lot more to come next week from 6 to 7pm as we continue our journey with local people who are making changes to their daily lives in the effort to help the climate. A big thank you to all of our guests this week and thanks to you for listening. That's it from Robbie and myself. Stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Carey coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Follow the leaders, meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.